welcome to Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed, a podcast for men who are thinking about divorce in the middle of one now or are recovering from this horrible process. You will get advice from experts and hear inspirational stories of men just like you who have survived divorce. Now, let's get to work. Welcome back to the show. I'm John Nocklinger, the men's divorce coach and mentor. You can join our men's divorce support community for free at mensdivorcenetwork.com. Today, my guest is Jennifer Warren Medwin. She's a divorce coach, Supreme Court of Florida family mediator, and a certified marital mediator, which we're going to learn a little bit about today. Her private practice is in Pinecrest, Miami, and it's called Seeking Empowerment, Clarity Through Partnership. Jennifer specializes in working alongside individuals and couples who are contemplating divorce and are fearful of high conflict and with those who hope to save their marriages, a very laudable goal. She uses her knowledge of coaching and mediation to help her clients emotionally prepare for the dissolution of their marriages or the reconciliation of their relationships in the most organized, time-efficient, and productive manner. She is collaboratively trained. She's a member of the National Association of Divorce Professionals. She's a participant on the Support Pay Advisory Council, a member of the Amicable Divorce Network, a teacher at Family and Co-Parenting Enrichment Services, a committee of Kids Side, and a contributing writer for Your Tango, Thrive Global, and Our Family Wizard. I have to say, Jennifer, there's probably a million more things that you do, but but that's what's that's what's important for our uh, listeners today. And I would say most importantly, she's the author of a book, Strategies and Tips from a Divorce Coach, A Roadmap to Move Forward, which you can find on Amazon. There will be a link in the show notes and probably on your screen if you're watching this on YouTube. If you want to connect with Jennifer, you can find her on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Jen Seeking Empowerment. Thank you so much for being here today, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love speaking to other people whose goals are to make divorce a better process or to help avoid divorce altogether. And you do both of those things. So I guess, why don't we start with your divorce coach? We've talked to a lot of divorce coaches um, on this podcast, and everyone has sort of a different definition or a different strategy of what a divorce coach is or what a divorce coach should be doing within the process. So what does divorce coach mean for you? So it's a great question. And I want to start with a little bit of history. Um, Not many people know that the American Bar Association in 2013 named divorce coaching the fourth element of the divorce process. So they recognize that there was um, an, an extreme amount of burnout among professionals who are working in the family law field, as well as the overwhelm of emotion for the clients who are going through the process. So here enters divorce coaching in 2013. I have been doing it um, for over seven years. So well from the beginning of the process. And for me, divorce coaching is, I look at it as a team process. I work with the client in conjunction with either the therapist, the attorney, and some financial specialist. And I help 
guide the client and educate the client and also organize the client through the process so that it can be done as efficiently and productively as possible. And you mentioned uh, four quadrants of divorce. You said divorce coaching was one of them. What are the other three? So what when I mentioned the four quadrants, so there's there are usually a team of professionals that's separate from the quadrants and the team of professionals are usually the standard ones are divorce coach, therapist, financial advisor of some sort, CDFA, forensic accountant, and then a family law attorney. That's not to say that there aren't other team players, you know, a mortgage broker, real estate agent, so on and so forth. Um, and so we work as a team. And when I talk about divorce, I do speak in terms of four quadrants. And that is, you have an organizational piece to the process, which as far as I'm concerned, is the most important part. And um, in my book, I talk about the various ways you can organize for the process, right? If you're older, um, you may be more comfortable with a very much hands-on binder process where you have copies and you put it into a binder and you tab everything. Um, those who are more technologically savvy, they might decide to create a digital system for themselves where you create those same tabs, but the folders are all, you know, online. And then there are others who like to have a digital platform like Detour Life. Um, there are platforms that you can pay for that can help organize your entire process whereby all of the team players can speak to each other um, online. Um, and understanding how to organize for that is really important because when you are more organized, you feel more empowered. When you feel more empowered, you have more energy and more focus to, to really separate the emotional side from the business side of divorce. So like now, that's the first quadrant. The second and, quadrant- And Jennifer, before you go to the second quadrant, let me just ask you a question about this first sure. quadrant. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a someone who practiced divorce law for 20 years, the thought of papers makes me crazy, just makes me absolutely crazy. So in your practice in Florida, what have you been noticing? Do people feel more comfortable organizing themselves electronically? Or do you still see that a lot of people want that paper so they feel comfortable, you know, seeing it in their hands and being able to look at everything to feel more comfortable with the process? So that's a really good question. And I can say to you, I see a big difference in gender. So more, more of the men that I work with are apt to put it on a digital platform or a digital system. More of the women I work with tend to like the paper and putting it into a binder system. There's something about um, being able to touch it and feel it that um, is very comforting. That's not to say that I don't have men who like the binder system also, but I'm just making a generalization. Um, I have to say, I, I can totally relate given the fact that you're coming from um, a law background and the papers are can be very overwhelming, especially when you're dealing with many different clients. Um, but when it's your own case, I, I can see where creating the binder system makes you feel like you have a little bit more control, especially if you are of the older generation, what we call like the gray divorce generation. Yeah, sure. I, I agree a hundred percent. And you're, you are right. It's depends on where you're sitting. 
Um, I mean, and of course, more often than not, most of the papers that you're gathering for your divorce are just there in case of most of the time you're not going to need, you know, 85, 90% of them. But I, I think that there is something to organizing right off the bat. And I think having a divorce coach like yourself, just to start that organization process, sometimes before you even talk to an attorney, um, is so important. So what is the second quadrant of divorce? The second quadrant is the emotional quadrant, right? And whether you want the divorce or you're being forced into the divorce, divorce has many tentacles, okay? I always say to my clients, you know, divorce is like a snowflake. No two are the same. And it's really important that the client is able to separate the emotional side of the divorce from the business side of divorce. And we work on many skills and strategies to help them show up as their best selves, show up authentically where they're championing and having a seat at the table for their own process. So many individuals, um, when clients come to me after they have lawyered up and I have clients who come to me, you know, mediation didn't work in the state of Florida. If it's contested, they have to go through mediation. Um, and they have given up their power. They're not the boss of the process. And anyone who is listening to this podcast, the one important piece of advice I have for you is be the boss of your process. Don't give away your power to your professionals because they are not going to be with you once this is settled. So it's really important that you dig deep, you become educated, and you follow your your intuition. Okay? Yeah, I think that I think that's so so important. That's the best advice possible. In fact, I, very interestingly, now when I'm speaking to um, potential clients, and I don't litigate anymore, I only do mediation and divorce coaching is that what is the process going to look like? You know, people, it's interesting. Lawyers like to talk about the sausage factory a little too much. And they like, like to talk about how they're going to get you this and how they're going to get you that and how they're going to do this. And really just people want to know they're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And part of being okay is what is this journey going to look like for me? Right. What is it supposed to look like? Mm -hmm. And then trying to get their spouse on board with the same process, which is, I think, probably the most difficult thing someone can possibly do. Because, you know, you do mediation. If you can get both people to subscribe to a mediation approach or a collaborative approach, mm -hmm. the whole process is just so much better, particularly if you have kids, but even if you don't have kids, because it really just sets you up to have the process done quicker and more amicably. You're going to spend less money. You're going to leave not as much of a broken person. So I guess I have a question for you about that before we go to the third quadrant. How, when you're talking to somebody for the first time and you're conveying to them, you know, here are the approaches you can take to going down this road. How do you try to get them to communicate that to their spouse? Because as we know, if both parties aren't on board with mediation or collaborative law, it doesn't happen. Right. And, and, and if they're not on board, it, it, at least for the collaborative piece, it shouldn't happen because if you enter into a collaborative agreement, you're both signing, you're both signing that you're, you're never going to go to court. And if it breaks down, then you have to start all over again. You can't use the professionals that were part of the process. So it's really important to know that. And it's a really good question. I am very committed to 
partnering with my clients to help the help them find the best process for their microcosm and the microcosm of their family, right? And for me, the the best outcome is when someone comes to me in the should I, shouldn't I stage before they have chosen a process that I would say, I would say at least 90% of my clients who come who come to me after they've chosen their process chose it and they weren't educated. Okay. And, you know, so many people lawyer up because that's what they think they need to do as soon as the word divorce, you know, comes out of one of their mouths. And they don't understand that not every attorney is for every person. They don't understand what to look for. I mean, there are many great attorneys, right? But personality makes a difference. Whether they, they have a bedside manner makes a difference. If you're someone who requires a lot of attention and nurturing and patience, looking for a professional who has that is integral. And not all the processes are for everyone, right? You know, I think a lot of people don't understand the whole collaborative process. And I really advocate for it when that when there are not a plethora of contested issues, right? When they're, especially if they have children and they really can understand that co-parenting is about putting your child or children first, right? Um, but people can look for traditional lawyers or lawyers that are more collaborative, yet they don't fall under the collaborative, collaborative category. Um, so I'm committed to teaching my clients about the various ways they can dissolve their marriages. Do you find that many people know what collaborative, uh, the collaborative process is before they come to you? So I would say more and more people are learning about the process. They don't understand the process in its entirety. And so a lot of people have these false impressions of what collaborative, um, what the collaborative process looks like. So um, I often, you know, I'm in the NADP, National Association of Divorce Professionals, and we, we are very lucky because we have one of the grandfathers of the collaborative movement um, in our chapter. And I always have, you know, I frequently, not always, I, hate, I don't like to use always and never, that's um, frequently have clients call him and just to understand what the process is to see if it is something that they he or she feels that their spouse can, can, you know, contemplate as a way of getting, you know, the divorce done. Yeah, I would say a lot of divorce attorneys don't understand the collaborative process mm -hmm. either. So it's no surprise that non people that aren't exposed to the system don't really understand it either for the most part. Of course, the internet is a blessing and it's a curse because yeah. there's a lot of things out there that don't make, make any sense. Because if you if you read about the collaborative process, you were just talking earlier about the professionals that might be involved in the process. Mm -hmm. You know, a divorce coach, a financial person, a parenting coach, a mediator, uh, two divorce attorneys. Most people would say, oh my gosh, this sounds so expensive. I'm gonna have to hire all of these people, but they don't understand it's really as needed. What is it that you need in this particular circumstance? Um, so I, I immediately, for the most part, like do you do you kind of look at where the where the pendulum swings to where collaborative would be appropriate versus 
just plain old mediation? Is there something in your mind where you would tell somebody, you really should do collaborative and not just plain old mediation where just two people go to a mediator without attorneys, without these other professionals as part of the process? Um, do you have something in your own mind about where that line is, where it would be appropriate to do one versus the other? Well, a couple of things. As a divorce coach, I, I don't tell my clients what to do, right? I provide them the knowledge and we brainstorm, you know, we, we talk about pros and cons and, you know, I, I'm committed to helping them make the best possible decisions for themselves. Number two, um, like I mentioned earlier in Florida, we, if there, if there are contested issues, you must go through mediation. So um, it's, I know it's different in, in several other states. In terms of guiding my clients to go with, to, through a certain process, what I do is I teach them about each process. And then we talk about based on what their particular issues are, what might fit best. And then if we, you know, let's say it is collaborative, the, the beauty of me coming in early in the process is then I can help them find their professionals, right? So for me, I always recommend three professionals. So it'd be, if it's mediation, three mediators. If it's collaborative, it's three collaborative professionals or attorneys, if we're just strictly speaking about attorneys. Um, and then I really take into account who they are as a human being. Like, what are their values? What are their conflict management strategies? What are their communication styles? And I really try to find three professionals. And I've been doing this now for a while. So I have, you know, the professionals, you know, that um, are sort of in my Rolodex when I say that I know I date myself. But um and, you know, so I really partner with them. And you mentioned something earlier about what our clients want to know initially is if they're going to be okay. And what I can say is having a divorce coach on your team really helps you feel more empowered. It helps you to know that you have someone that can brainstorm with you, that can be a sounding board, that can help educate you on how to communicate if communication is breaking down with your soon-to-be um, ex. How, if conflict is ensuing, how do you decrease conflict? And there are so many different skills that I really wish that we learned all of these skills in, in, in high school. Um, because they would benefit so many of us. That you're when you're educating your clients that are coming in, it all goes back to I mentioned this earlier. You're talking to one of two people. Mm -hmm. So how does that that education you're giving? How does that drip over to the other person so that they can get on board? Because I know I've done. I do exactly what you do, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's very difficult where I'll have clients say, well, can you just talk to my wife? Can you just talk to my wife and tell her? And I have to say, that's not my role. My role is to help you. So, and aside from sending them to somebody who will educate them, 
there's how do you get the other side to just sign on to this? And I, cause I find that to be one of the most difficult things because you can talk to your client and say, listen, here are your paths. And they can say, okay, now I know these paths. Collaborative law sounds like it would be perfect for my family. And meantime, the other spouse is off hiring an attorney unbeknownst to your client. And I, I mean, this happens quite frequently because we all, we, what do we all see on TV is whenever mm -hmm. you're in a legal problem, what do you do? You run to an attorney and hire them. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's the first attorney people see. They don't even really look like you said before, there's attorneys out there that are handholders. There are others that, you know, just file something with the court and they just wait till they have to do something. And there's everything in between. But I, that is a really big issue that I find clients have is just getting their spouses on board. So as part of your education about the process, is that also educating them on how they can speak to their spouse about these processes? Yes, because communication and the way we communicate is very important. And you know, there, there are three sort of um, elements to communication right? One is body language, one is tone of voice, and one is words. Okay. Which one do you think is the most important? Oh, I would say body language, but so it depends on if you're in person or, you know, someone's that's a very good point. Excellent point. Let's just talk in terms of being in, in person or on Zoom. I mean, I, you can see me, you can see my body language, you can hear my tone of voice, you can hear my words. So, okay, we're not talking about being on the phone or, you know, communicating via text per se. So tone of voice is 55% of communication, okay? Body language is 35% and words are 10 so what I work with my clients on is, okay, you have this information, right? You have this information and you want to relay it so that someone can hear you. Okay. Number one, let's say the person's name is Harry. You want to say their name. Saying their name opens up their level to, um, be heard. Okay. Most people listen to defend right? They don't listen to hear. So you say their name and then you, you bring up the problem. I want to discuss mediation or collaboration with you. And I really think this would be the best for our family. And you want to keep your tone of voice very vanilla, right? If the other person starts getting louder, you get softer. Okay. And if you start practicing this, you will see that conflict decreases. And, and, you know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? People will listen to you if you're giving them what I call an empathy, attention, and respect. It's a skill that I learned from Bill Eddy. Are you familiar with Bill, Bill Eddy? I, I am. Statements? Love mm -hmm. Bill Eddy. Um, and then you calmly explain to them, you give them three or four reasons why you feel a certain process is going to be um, the best suited for, for your, the, the entire unit. And then you say, you know, do you think you can agree to that? And then an, a conversation, you know, occurs and, and I teach my clients how to do reflective listening. And reflective listening is when somebody says something 
you reflect back what they said and you ask them, did I understand that correctly? Right. And in that way, you're creating, you know, a situation where someone is more apt to listen to you. Okay. While you're communicating this, it's really important that your face is relaxed. People don't know that they furrow their eyebrows, they stare, they, they don't smile, they, they cross their arms, they cross their legs. All of those things help, don't help to decrease conflict and make people feel more defensive. So when you're having this conversation, you wanna make sure that you're, you're more relaxed. Okay. And then the importance of the words that you use, right? You want to focus on the issue, not the person. And this is where a lot of people who are contemplating or have made decisions to divorce mess up because they focus more on the person than the problem. And so, you know, those are just preliminary strategies that I work with my clients on when they, then when they're, deciding on a process or there is a problem going on, right? And they want to be able to feel heard. So does that make sense to you? It absolutely does. And that's incredible. And I hope everyone listening rewinds and listens to your approach again, because I really think that that's a great, a great thing that you can take, not just to this, basically to any, any situation in your life where you're trying to talk to someone about something that's really important. Um, I will tell you, Jennifer, one of the things that's most difficult is having this conversation with a spouse who doesn't want the divorce or, as I hear more often than not, was blindsided by the divorce. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that there is sort of a gender divide here to some degree. Um, it's been my experience that a lot of women have a longer glide path towards the divorce process and maybe spend a little bit more time gathering information and all of these sorts of things before they decide I want to get divorced. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men um, find it very easy to stick their head in the, in the ground and ignore things going on around them. So they feel a little bit more blindsided by divorce processes. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering what is your opinion about that? What kind of approach do you give because a lot of times if a if a wife let's say comes to their husband and says i want a divorce you know it's going to take a, some period of time could be days weeks months for that person that well i, I don't want to say wife and husband but the person who's not wanting the divorce mm -hmm. it's going to take some period of time for them to even wrap their mind around the divorce is happening because we all know if they can't get their mind wrapped around that they can't possibly start to talk about a process. So right. what is your approach to that? Well, let me just say this to you. The average person has been contemplating divorce four years prior to asking for it, okay? So who, whoever is asking for the divorce is so much further ahead than the, if, it, if they're blindsided than the person than the other person. So what I say to clients who come to me, whether they're male or female in that particular situation is, I know that everything feels like it's imploding, but it's not a race, it's a marathon. And I often, I often um, talk about the Aesop's fable, the tortoise and the hare, okay? Mm -hmm. Who wins the race? Not the hare, 
the tortoise. Why? Because slow and steady wins the race. And again, it's important to recognize that this may not be what you wanted and you are being forced to lean in and you can lean in at your speed, right? It's about understanding how to communicate effectively. For example, I'm gonna need a few days to settle into this and think about how I wanna handle it. I am not going to be responding to your text messages or your emails for the next week. I need to take some time for myself. And really, you know, when I'm there as a divorce coach, really giving them a plethora of strategies that they might want to try on, right? And practice makes better. And so, you know, my clients might say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take baby steps. And I always say to them, you know, babies are not empowered, right? They don't have choices. Let's pick words that you know, help move us forward. Like I'm taking brave bites forward. I'm taking micro steps. Um, and really listening to what they, what they need and want and learning how to communicate that effectively. Yeah. And I think we could talk about this all day because, you know, there's, there's also the situations where the divorce happened because of some traumatic thing, uh, an affair or something mm -hmm. like that. And so that, that changes the calculus a little bit too, in terms of how you discuss some of these things, but we could talk about this all day, but I'm very interested to hear what the third question of divorce is, is we've kind of been stuck on the second for a while. So yeah, the second is a doozy, right? We, there, we can talk about that forever. So the third one is the legal aspect of, of your case, which is why you're hiring an attorney. And so in my book, I talk about all the various documents and questions you want to ask of your legal advisor, your attorney. And if you have children, also, you know, what you might want to include in the parenting plan. Now, before I wrote the book, I spent many years through clients, um, through my own experience, experience with divorce, coming up with an invaluable list of things you might want to include in your parenting plan. Because, you know, the standard template doesn't include everything that you are going to experience as your children grow older. And the one thing I will say about the parenting plan to everyone who is writing one or, or help or their attorneys are helping them or divorce coaches are helping them. Please remember if your children are young, think ahead, think five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, examples like, you know, when your child gets a car, um, you know, who's, who's going to maintain that car? Who's going to pay for the insurance? Um, even when your children are age of majority in, st different, in different states, the ages are different. But if you are staying out of court, which the majority of case divorce cases do, anything is negotiable and you can have custom provisions. Um, and sometimes you're not made aware of that and in this case, and I know your, your mom probably said this to you when you were little, ignorance is bliss, 
right? Well, when you're going through the, the divorce process, ignorance is not bliss. Knowledge is power. So that's another benefit of having a divorce coach on your side because they've had a plethora of experience and are really professionals in the divorce process and can help you really think outside of the box for what you might need in your settlement agreements. I'm over here um, quietly giving you a round of applause as I think that the advice you just gave about parenting plans is so important. Um, people tend to only think about what's going on today. Mm -hmm. you know, they have a five-year-old, they're just thinking about kindergarten and you know, where they're going to go to, uh, you know, aftercare and who's going to pick up who on which days. And they don't think long term. And you would hope people are flexible moving forward. And quite frankly, that's the reason why you start with a mediation or collaborative process mm -hmm. so that you're more able to build those those sort of uh, good feelings between the two now divorced people so they can continue to uh you know, course correct as their kids get older without having to involve all of these people. But I really think that's so important that you think about everything that traditionally happens with kids. You know, like we all, I mean, and we could, the list could go on and on forever. And I'm sure your book has an incredible list and I am going to get it and see if there's anything that's not on my list. Okay. But I know I've got a 20 page list of possible provisions mm -hmm. and they're everything. There are things from, we just went through the COVID, um, or we're, I guess we're still going through COVID, but we went through the whole vaccination thing. That's mm -hmm. something that you don't want to fight about it later. You know, have the discussion now. Are we going to vaccinate our kids? Are we not? What are they going to get? What are they not going to get? You know, if you have, you know, girls, there are certain things that are going to happen with them as they get older. Boys a little bit different. We have proms, we have cars, we have pre-college expenses. We have going to visit colleges. We've got all, all these things that we know are going to happen. So while you're going through this process, you're absolutely right. You need to have a professional, divorce coach, mediator, divorce attorney. All of these people need to be helping you foresee everything that is knowable. I mean, obviously the things we don't know that are going to happen, that always happens, but we know your kid's going to get older. We right. know they're going to get a driver's license. We know they're likely going to be going to on school trips and dances. We know they're going to probably go to some kind of summer camp. We know all of these things going into a divorce. So you're absolutely right. You need to have as much of a comprehensive parenting plan as possible. And I, I think once if when you present sort of the menu of things that could go in your parenting plan, I'm sure a lot of your clients' eyes just are big, huge, because they're, they're going to say things like, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. I never thought of that. Right. And let me tell you something, you know, this is one of the benefits of having a divorce coach, because think about it, when you are overwhelmed, and you're very nervous, and, and you're, you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, which a lot of people go through these cycles when they are going through the divorce process, you are unable to think about what is outside of the box, right? And so having someone partner with you who has the experience and the education to help you only, only saves you time, energy, and frankly, money at the end of the process. Um, so that's why, you know, that's another reason why divorce coaches, certified divorce coaches are so valuable.
Absolutely. So, you know, we have the, the legal process, which, you know, we've discussed sort of throughout this entire um, conversation can look a very different for different people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the traditional where you go to court. Um, I mean, granted, as you pointed out in Florida, you have to go to mediation as part of the process. Um, in other states, a little bit different. You know, New Jersey, you go through a contested court process and then go to mediation later on. Mm-hmm. Some question whether that's uh, the best approach, but that's what it is. In other states, mediation is not even required as part of the process. Right. But so we've gone through the, le- so we kind of gone through these three quadrants and now we're in the legal process. So what is the fourth quadrant of divorce? Is the financial piece, which for most people, this is the one that gets them the most nervous, right? And, you know, clients, it doesn't matter whether they're male, female, whoever is in front of the attorney who's given that financial affidavit, it is very overwhelming. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a time where, especially if you are the party who has not been taking care of the finances, it almost seems like an impossible endeavor. And so what I do as a divorce coach, when my clients, you know, well, it depends on where they come in, but let's say they've, I've helped them pick out their professionals. I let them know this is what they're going to be receiving. No, they don't need to do it all in one day. Yes, they're going to have at least a month to figure out how to accrue these documents. And I help them sort of set up a calendar, like we're going to do five of, of the items each day. And we're, this is where you can find this. This is where you can find that. And really helping them take those brave bites forward. Um, the financial affidavit is the most important part of, of your divorce other than your children. So, which obviously are the most important. Um, and again, in my, in my book, I have, I worked with some of the top financial advisors and they helped me come up with a list of all the various documents and things you might want to think about like memorabilia. There was, I had this one case where they had this, this baseball card collection and it wasn't in the MSA when, when we had gone over it and it was worth a lot of money. And so that became like a contested issue um, because although it was started prior to the marriage, it accrued over a 20 year marriage, these cards, so on and so forth. And so another great reason to look at the list in my book is to see what you're missing um, outside of your sort of traditional um settlement agreement. I'm sure that was fun figuring out which cards existed whenever they got divorced versus what was purchased during the marriage. Those those are the sorts of things as an attorney, I always want to just pound my head on the desk. It happens more frequently than we would all like to think because you don't keep records of everything you purchase. No, Um, especially now. I mean, you know, when I say now, I mean, you know, if you've had, if you're 50 years old and you've been collecting, <laughs> you when you were 10, you probably never even got a receipt or something. You know? Oh, absolutely. It's it's so funny you um, bring this up because 
people undervalue their collections all the time. I remember this one time many years ago, I had this um, divorce case where um, the husband was a horror movie collector. So he collected, he went around to like conventions and collected like these life-size figurines from like horror movies. And, you know, my, my client, who was the wife, just didn't want to ever go down in the basement and see these things. I can understand. But he had amassed it, and they, they were worth, like, $100,000. They were worth so much money because some of them were one of a kind and all these other things. And when I first got the financial disclosure from her, she did not list it. And it, I only became aware of it because there was an issue where one of the kids got locked in the basement and was very frightened by these horror figures and when i heard about it i was like what what do you mean he's got a collection down there what is it of and then when we finally had it evaluated and she found how much money it was jaw hit the floor so you're absolutely right being and this is all what you've been talking about being organized knowing what to think about that's in your house knowing what to consider to be important what to consider being part of your marital assets that you want to make sure gets divided um, you know, fairly. Otherwise, you're right. If it's not in your MSA, then, you know, you're going to have a problem later on. So I think that's just excellent advice. And yes, these financial disclosure forms make people so stressed out. Mm -hmm. They they just don't know what to do. And particularly if you're not the spouse that was handling money during the marriage, which I find to be pretty much standard these days, usually one spouse handles the money, the other one really doesn't. Um, it's really stressful. So I think the calendar you came up with is a great idea, especially when you start having to gather documents up and provide them to the other side. Um, it's just so important. So I have to ask you, Jennifer, everyone who is a divorce coach has a very interesting relationship with divorce attorneys. And since I have done both, um, I understand that you know there are some divorce coaches out there that maybe step a little bit too much into the area where divorce attorneys are giving advice to their clients. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your relationship with divorce attorneys and how you make sure that it's a positive experience for both the attorney and your client. Right. Well, it's a really good question. And it goes back to what we said earlier, what I said to you, I don't tell my clients what to do, right? I provide them the information. Um, and we, and we do, we, we do the pros and cons. So I, I consistently say in so many of my sessions, I am not an attorney. I am not a financial advisor. That's a great question for your accountant. That's a great question for your attorney. I'm here to help you, to educate you about the process, to help guide you to make sure your, your parenting plan and your marriage settlement agreement has everything that will give you comfort as you move forward into the next chapter of your life. So I will tell you, and I'm just currently writing, um, researching and writing an article for the um, Family Law Florida Commentator. And it's all about um, why divorce coaches are so valuable for the legal professionals and the concept of privilege. Um, with the attorneys that I work with, they they call me back time and time again. They, you know, in the beginning, um, many were re resistant because they do they don't understand what a divorce coach really really does. 
And, um, you know, I talk a lot about client management. When I go into different offices, I, I say to the attorneys, if for every client I could free you maybe an hour or two per week, what would you do with that time? And I say, don't tell me that you would, um, you would, you know, do more work. I want to hear what you would do about taking care of your life, your family, because I'm a very big proponent of it is not a work-life balance. It is a life-work balance. Um, and I, and just so you know, I don't know if you know the statistics, but I just was at a conference and they said that 66% of family law attorneys suffer from burnout or some type of emotional distress as it relates to their job. And then here comes divorce coaching, who can help them, what I say, with client management. I don't believe that statistic at all. I think it's 90%, Jennifer. Um, I, I will tell you, it is something that clients don't fully appreciate. But um, when, you're, when you're a divorce attorney, um, particularly with people that don't have anyone else on their team, they don't have a therapist, a divorce coach, they don't have anyone else to talk to about you know their cheating spouse or why is this happening to me <laughs> exactly um it really stresses out attorneys who you know really want to try to solve the problem mm -hmm. you know the problem being we need to figure out how to resolve your divorce mm -hmm. and they get mired in all of this and then what happens more often than not is legal bills get run up right. that becomes a additional source of stress for the attorney and the client alike and now all of a sudden, instead of focusing in on, on the client and their divorce problem, you start to, sometimes it starts to become a semi-adversarial relationship between the attorney and the client because the attorney is being called upon to do all this additional, you know, handholding. I don't, I hate that phrase, but I don't know what else to say right now. And sometimes they're not getting paid for it. And it becomes, it makes them have some animosity towards their client. So you... And I don't think clients realize this going in, but attorneys really are there to solve their legal problem. They're not there to do all the other things that we've been discussing on this uh, podcast mm -hmm. that a divorce coach or a therapist or somebody else really should be the one you know, that you bring into your orbit to take care of. Not just because a divorce coach is cheaper than an attorney, because that's clearly the case, but really they're there for a different purpose. And you want your attorney to, to get focused in on what they need to know to help you get divorced and not hear the same story for the 900th time, which I can tell you, I've had clients that have told me verbatim the same story 20 times. Right. And it has nothing to do with anything I need to know. It's just, you know, that's what they do. And then, but as a divorce coach, that's fine because we work through those issues. We right. sort of try to, talk through them. So I really think that that's a great, um, I love how you sort of talk to attorneys and let them know, listen, I'm here for you. I'm mm -hmm. here to help you. And I can tell you more attorneys need to use divorce coaches. And every attorney I know in New Jersey has heard me say it a million times. Mm -hmm. Stop complaining about your clients and start encouraging them to get other professionals in the process. And a divorce coach is a great person to have as part of your process. And anyone in Miami, 
Uh, do you just do you just do Miami? Is it just South? No, I do. I, I do all over the country. All actually. over the country. Yes. Oh, look at that. No, so, yes, it's great. Um, and my book has helped with that. Of course, it has. I mean, your book, and it's available on Amazon. And so, too. Okay, great. And so you've already heard what you can expect in this book. If nothing else, you need that list of provisions for your parenting plan. That sounds like it's worth the cost of the book all by itself. But she's already told us so many other wonderful things that are in this book. So Jennifer, if anyone wanted to reach out to you, how would they be, reach you? They can go to my website, which is seekingempowerment.com, or they can email me at jen at seekingempowerment.com. And I just want to say one thing, you know, I... I know empowerment is a buzzword. Um, and I learned something a little while ago that I had never heard. And, and I, you know, empowerment has been something that I've been working on for a long time. The word empower. What are the first two letters? DM. Turn them around. Oh, how about that? Me power. And what I want to say to all your listeners is it all starts with you, right? You don't have control over how somebody else reacts or responds or acts. All you have control over is how you react and respond. And so it's important to get quiet and figure out how you want to take those brave bites forward. So you have a seat at the table and you are the boss of your own process. Powerful advice, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being here today. This was an excellent conversation. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.